Okay. So, Dean, it's good to meet you. You're yeah. in Scotland, right? No, Ireland. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, I so was speaking to. I have a question. Okay. So, I was speaking to you the other day about that I'm getting this uncomfortable feeling in my head around here and around here, and it's still lingering around. I think it started when I first really gladdened my mind. The more, the more I practice, the more it happens. Uh, it's happening when I practice and when I'm not practicing. But when I'm not practicing, I'm still always thinking about my practice in the background, if that makes sense. And it has turned into a big hindrance. And the question is, has this ever happened to one of your students? And how should I fix it? I, um, I'm not quite sure yet what you're, you're talking about. I've heard you talk about sensations here and here. And normally when people have sensations in those kind of places associated with the head, and or headaches. They also have tension in the neck that they're not aware of. So the first thing to do is to start being aware that the tensions that you're actually experiencing is because there's tension in the neck, tension in the head, and that kind of thing. It can be because of the way that you're holding your head, but it's also uh, a, a mental attitude perhaps of working too hard that's well you're actually creating stress when the whole point here is to remove stress yes if i was a bet betting man that's what i'd say i'm putting too much stress because that's what it feels like and it's kind of like you last week you said i'm trying to grasp and that's what it feels like i'm grasping subconsciously if that makes sense and i'm just worried that my mind won't snap or i'm just worried that worried that if i keep working through this tension that my mind will snap or something but it's not if stored. you it's worry that if you worry that your mind will snap it will snap upon command because that's what you're doing you're commanding it to snap or having thoughts of the mind is going to snap also has the same quality as the original tension anyway. That in fact, worry about the mind snapping is a telltale sign of the tension that you're building up anyway. That in fact, if you were practicing correctly and had tension in the head, you would just say, oh, never mind. But the okay. fact is that you're worried that something is going to snap. Now, here's something interesting. Have you ever had the idea or the feeling that or the worry that something was going to snap? Long ago is I think that this is an old habit that you're worried that something's going to snap. Um, when I used to live my life differently and with I used to be using a lot of drinking drugs and I had a small bit of an issue about 10 years ago, but that was in the past. But, but other than that, not really have I ever thought my mind was going to snap. But look, I used to be on medication over as so kind of a psychotic break that I had while I was using drink and drugs. So maybe that's in the background as well. Yes, well, it is a common uh, ailment for people to think that something bad is going to happen. And we often create whatever it is that we want or that we're afraid of happening. Possibly the, the, the one that's the most common is the man who gets in an argument with his wife simply because when he approached her, he was afraid he would be in an argument with his wife. Okay. Okay. And, and so whatever the topic is, if you have the topic and all oh, we can handle this, there's no problem. 
then that's the attitude he walks into the argument with, which is no argument because he's not got the argument in his mind. But if he thinks that this item that he has to discuss with his wife, she's not going to like it and it's going to create a big argument, we're sure he will. That's it. He's creating okay. his reality. Right. So, okay. If you recognize it like that, then this idea of um, basically the thinking about or actually the experience of the feeling of tension in the head, what thought do you have to go along with that possibly is I don't like it or that there's something wrong? Yeah, the worry. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what it is. And do you know what? It, it is after turning into a big hindrance. And the more I think about it, the more I feel it. Okay. Well, perhaps we need to take a change of attitude. And okay. that is to be very, very pleased with the fact that you can experience the body in new ways. Okay. That you're beginning to wake up. That's the whole point of Anapanasati is to wake the body up. Generally, what happens, though, is that when people do wake their body up and come up with some, um, let us call it an experience or whatever, upon close questioning and examination, they recognize, oh, they've had that feeling before, but it's actually not brand new. Right. This is not it's not new. Like for instance, uh having anxiety when they're in meditation. And then they recognize all oh, the anxiety has been there before. I just never looked at it. Okay. So that's another way of looking at, for instance, your head tension is, is that it's probably been there before. You just weren't paying attention to it. Now that you're paying attention to it and see it. You can congratulate yourself for seeing it. Okay. Then you can do something about it. And one of the things that you can do about it is to recognize that this is tension. Let's do some relaxation exercises. Maybe you can even give your head a massage. Get it un untense. Give your neck a little massage and get it untense. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, it feels more inside at the brain, but it does. It just it feels like stress. Like I'm you mentioned, like I'm grasping at something because as far as I can tell, I only notice it when I start being able to really gladden my mind. And it's like I'm trying to grab that back, maybe. Mm -hmm. Would that make sense? Well, yes, because that's the way that Westerners would practice it as if it were elusive and you had to grab it. And a better way of looking at it is to just relax into it. It's okay to feel happy. Just relax. That's what the whole thing is all about anyway. Is to stop having thoughts that keep you all tensed up. And okay. wanting to have thoughts that stop you from being tensed up is a kind of tension. Instead of wanting or grasping or trying to cling at happiness or satisfaction, just relax into it. Allow yourself just to be relaxed. Okay. And could it cause a problem if I kept practicing and kept getting this stress feeling? Well, I would uh, invite you to recognize that the stress feeling that you're having is not because you're practicing correctly. And so if you want to tie it to this feeling and sensation system here is caused by my practice, then absolutely the answer to that is stop that practice. Okay, should I take a break for a few days? Because I feel like I've trained it into- Right, in fact, that's a way of looking at it is, and I would like for you to not take a break for a few days, but take a break whenever you can think about it from now on. That literally the practice that we're practicing is taking a break. It's not something that you're adding to your okay. life, something that you're beginning to remove from your life. 
I have tried to meditate differently, more lightly in the last day or two, but it's still lingering around. So would it help me to stop practicing whatsoever for a couple of well, days? Actually, when you say practicing, what are you actually doing? Because whatever you're doing, that if you were saying that what you're doing is causing the tension, then whatever you're doing is not correct practice. Well, I'm doing what I think is anapanasati, which I've got great results from. However, since I first started to gladden my mind about a week ago, I, I have this sensation, but now my mind is not as glad as it was over the last few days because of this, because I keep thinking about it and it's going around in a loop and it's causing this stress kind of uncomfortable feeling that's nearly even physical. Well, you and I have actually labeled it as uh, uh, stress. Um, is it possible that that is in fact your experience of joy and that it's a very good sensation, but it's new and you don't know you haven't acquired a taste for. I don't. I, I don't think so. But okay. I, I don't know. Um, right. As far as I can remember, as soon as I was getting in around the jhanas, and I don't. I know you don't like when people use the J word, but as soon as I was getting in around as far back as I can remember, I was on last Sunday when I first started to be able to gladden my mind, and looking back. Since then, this feeling was coming in, and it was like a grasping feeling, and it's like I have trained my mind to be like that now over the last week. If that makes sense, I don't know. Well, <clears throat> what doesn't make sense is uh, pleasure causing pain. Or what doesn't make sense is uh, going in the right direction causes wrong result. Okay. Um, heating things up to cool them down, or vice versa, cooling things down heats them up. And if you actually are cooling down, then we can either say that this tension that you have in your head is heating things up, so that's not cooling down, right? That's the important point is to recognize that whatever you are doing, you're causing tension and you're causing yourself what you would consider something close to pain, an unpleasant sensation. Okay. So what? So, Whatever it is that you are doing that's creating that is recommended to stop. But now you have the whole quality of practice all together to where, in fact, it may be like a salad. Okay, that there's one item in that salad is making you sick. We should remove that one item of the salad and then enjoy the rest of the salad. Right? Okay, yeah, makes sense. So how do I find that one item? Should I just well, take a break? I'm trying to it? No, that's what I'm trying to <laughs> go back to the break, taking a break. Yes, take a break from whatever you're doing that's causing the tension. Take a break from it. We're on that subject. We've got that wired, okay? Okay, okay, yeah, because I have been doing your Anapanasati for a good few months, and it's only within the last week that I'm feeling this uncomfortableness. Okay, well, let's go find out what you're doing that's causing that uncomfortableness. So the first thing would be is what, what is the very first thing that you notice? That there you are doing Anapanasati and you don't have it and then all of a sudden you do have it. What is that all of a sudden about? Yeah, what it's, happened? It's I don't know. It's so hard to explain. Um, I don't know if I even know the answer myself, Damarato. So. Uh, Normally, it's a kind of a thought. You can have that pain one time, and then there's no more to it until you think of it again. And then when you think of it again, 
you're creating it again. Maybe so, maybe so, because it's not there constant. It comes and goes, comes and goes. Okay. The more when I it, practice and the more I think about it, the more I think it comes. Okay. When you say more in the sense of more practice, does that mean more frequently or more effort put into it? What is the more that you're talking about? It's even not even just when I'm meditating. When I'm not med meditating, I'm trying to gladden the mind with positive words and positive thoughts. It, it can come in even then. Um, yeah, so it's not just when I'm meditating. But look, I have an obsessive mind and everything always goes around in a circle in my mind like it's a, an obsession, you know. Oh, and so now you're saying that you're working really hard at gladdening the mind. Yes, I yes. definitely am. Why don't you just gladden the mind without working at it? <laughs> without, uh, just stop working at it and in fact, just enjoy the mind. Here's a way of thinking about it, okay. I've had this on my mind for a couple of minutes. Imagine that you, your task or job at hand in this uh, little metaphor scenario is to catch a black cat. The situation is that this black cat is in a room that is full of ordinary furniture that someone else lives there, but not you. And this is the cat's home. The cat knows this place really, really well. And your job is to open the door quickly, step into the room and close the door. And now the room is completely pitch black and you cannot see anything. And your job is to catch that cat. How are you okay. going to catch the cat? I don't know. You're going to sit down on the floor and wait for the cat to crawl in your lap. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, well, that's what it feels like. That's what, that's what I said to you the other day as well. Uh, am I working too hard? Yes, you're working too hard. Definitely. Right. Well, that, that's what it feels like. That makes more sense. That makes 100% sense. Right. That's the whole point of right noble effort is just the right amount of effort to get the job done. Because my mind and, spins around like a washing machine all the time. So I've probably felt like I have to work really hard. When you and you see the mind washing around like a washing machine, you can say, aha, I see that spinning of the mind. Never mind, I can just relax. So if you start spinning in the sense, oh, I've got to get this meditation thing, I've got to get this anapanasati, I've got to get this uh, uh, joy thing, then recognize that spinning that you're doing and say, wait a minute, I can just stop all of that. Just relax. Okay, yeah. And you know what I've noticed? Like when when I'm not getting this feeling is when I'm distracted. If I go back onto the YouTube, say, and I'm watching an old hindrance of mine, like maybe politics or something like that, it goes then. So it is when I'm distracted, I'm not really thinking about it. So Mm -hmm. So you're not just thinking about it, but you're creating it by thinking about it. Yes, that's what I'd say is the That's problem. what we're getting at is that this is something that you're creating. And when okay. you forget all about it, it goes away. The question is, is what are you going to put in your mind other than YouTube? Because you have a choice about it. And one of the things that you can put into your mind is this uh, whole process that we're talking about is relaxation, ease, yeah. and that you can become uh, distracted from the spinning of the mind intentionally by uh, actually recognizing that the mind is spinning and letting it stop and slow down. Say, oh, I don't have to do that right now. Oh, I don't have to get anything right now. Everything is already okay right now. 
And I can relax. Yeah. At the moment, look, less is more for me. So what I'm going to do first is take a break for a couple of days and try to reset my my practice or, or something. Okay. Um, generally, what happens when people quit practicing, if they call it that, we're talking about in the way of uh, forgetting all about Anapanasati, forgetting all about uh, uh, meditation and all of that, and just go live our lives. Normally, that causes a collision here and there a collision of uh, the mind going back and and all of the good stuff that you have learned is lost. Yeah, and almost, that's not what I want to almost, do. Now, 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 here's the way that I mean that in the sense that looking at an airplane taking off and flying, the airplane can either touch down and land or it can crash. And almost all the students, after they've left the ground and they're high flying and then they stop meditating, that's like the, the uh, airplane just running out of fuel and they crash land. So be careful of that also. And so instead of just quitting practice altogether, the better way of looking at it is to quit working at the practice and start enjoying it. Yeah, uh, learning to play with it. Quitting the practice, I like it because it's even a bit depressing when I was thinking of that decision to take a break for a few days because I definitely have the right noble view because I love it and I'm motivated about this practice because I've had really re good results. Okay, so, well, soften the motivation also. Allow the motivation to become very soft and easy. Okay. Like the, like the motivation that it takes to just relax. All right. Do, do, you, do you know where I got some great results from the meditation? Well, I was driving my car. And um, could, could that cause you to be working too hard at the meditation because you're trying to maybe focus on the road as when, well as focus when, on your... Well, when you are driving your car, it would be very wise for you to have a whole lot of sati, a whole lot of mindfulness to watch where you're going. So do you think it's to okay to continue? a good driver, you have to watch where you're going. And this is the reason why a whole lot of humans have a whole lot of traffic accidents and a whole lot of people die is because they're doing more than just driving their car when they're driving their car. Sometimes they're yelling at the kids. Sometimes they're on their cell phone. Sometimes they're eating. Sometimes they're just daydreaming. Sometimes they're practicing some art of yoga or meditation or whatever it is, and that's when they have an accident. And I'm, I'm making sure that you understand that when you're driving a car, you need to pay attention to driving the car. Yeah, and right? I do. I do. Okay, I do. wait a minute. Hang on. Because if you can do that, then when you're meditating, you can pay attention to the meditation also. That's the whole point is that it's Santi. Build up the skill of watching what you're doing. So when you're driving a car, watch driving, watch what you're doing. When you're sitting in practice of Anapanasati, also watch what you're doing, watch what the mind, keep your eye on the road, literally, rather than letting the mind start to spin into desires and wanting things. And just focus yeah. on and keep your eye on the road. This is the way of thinking about Anapanasati anyway, because it's quite relaxing. And you're also quite safe. Okay, so do you think uh, what you just said there, do you think it's okay? Are you telling me it's okay to continue? Obviously, my eyes are open when I'm driving. Do you think it's okay to still focus on your breath? And practice Anapanasati when you're driving a car. Are you, you saying do. that's okay? 
when that actually is a skill to be developed, and I would recommend that you would practice that. That in fact, uh, developing the practice of watching your breath is a very, very good practice to have. And you can do that and be here now with the car and to be here now with the breath also. Okay. Pay attention um, to what your body is doing when you're driving. Okay, you can bring the driving as part of the doing something in the here now. And another example would be having a conversation with someone. When you're having a conversation with someone, be in the present moment with them. Listen to what they say and pay attention and be here with them. This That's is what, what I was going to ask as well. Can you use something else as the object? Can I use their voice as the object and then kind of gladden my mind in the background? Oh, it's great to be here listening to them and all this kind of stuff. All right, let's um, let's work with the word background for a moment because we've used it several times. Uh, and that you have the idea that the background means that things are happening simultaneously. An example of that would be that the, uh, in a play, while the actors are at the fourth stage, other actors are in uh, back of the stage doing their own thing. And another way of looking at it is, is that there may be even scene designers and set people changing the sceneries and the sets while people are out on the front of the stage. Here's the point about that, is that that's a whole lot of people. Imagine that you're in the audience and you see the actors in the front of the stage, and then you see the actor at the back of the stage and you call him in the background, but then you come back and you look at the actors on the front of the stage, and then you look over to the other side of the stage, et cetera. But here's the point. You're only using your mind to look at one thing at a time. There okay. is no such thing as background. Okay. That okay. even yeah. if the back, like the, you would say there's background noise of the rain. No, the rain is not a background noise. Occasionally, <laughs> I pay an instant moment of attention to the rain. And then okay, I come so, back and focus on you. Right. So you, you regarded them before in mind, mind moments. It's just a different mind moment. It's just a different mind moment. And okay. this is something that you can begin to see that your mind is scattered all over the place. The mind moment here and a mind moment there and a mind moment here and a mind moment there. And so you begin to watch that the mind is really all over the place. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm saying that when the mind is all over the place and we don't know that, then we use language like it was in the background. Okay. All right. But if we understand that the mind is all over the place and we can see it all over the place, then we can relish at how beautiful and magnificent the human brain really is. That it can move around like this. An example of that would be that you move your head one way and then about another. And I just noticed that uh, as an example uh, yesterday, when I noticed uh, within very, very short period of time, just out of the corner of my eye, I just noticed a car was there. Just that that flash, okay? Just out of the corner of the eye, I could see that the car was there, and that allowed me then to not open the door. Okay. But don't it take just an instant to see that? And we can realize that things can happen really, really quickly, and we can catch them. That in fact, that's part of what we're talking about is opening the mind so that we can take in input from all over the place really quickly and process it so that we're actually in the here now. Now, I'll talk to you later about that in the sense of what is perception and what is consciousness and that kind of stuff. But the important part right now that we're getting is, is that things don't happen in the background, though things happen simultaneously the human can only see one of them at a time, but we okay. move the mind very quickly. 
And so now it's time for you to begin to see how your mind is moving. And so you can begin to track how many different things it touches and moves to and how many different thoughts that we do have because we're going to start to unify the mind by having it not move around and jump so much. Okay, brilliant. Yep. We're going to let it relax. And I imagine that this is what you're talking about, the washing machine, that not only does your mind jump around, it seems to be jumping around the circle. And it'll stay in that circle, but it's still jumping and jumping. So what we can do is begin to see this jumping of the mind and say, aha, I see that jumping. Never mind, I can just relax. Yeah. That's the way of practicing correctly rather than uh, uh, trying to grasp at something and jumping and jumping and jumping to try to get a hold of it. The thing to do is like that black cat, is just to sit out and relax and the cat will come. Okay. Um, another question I was gonna ask. Well, look, I know you've said the practice of Anapanasati is supposed to be, it's not just when you're sitting down and meditating, it's all day. But I had some great results when I was focusing on my breath. But then I might stop focusing on my breath and I kind of look into what they say, the spacious awareness. But I'd still be glad in my mind at the same time. And I felt like I was getting more relaxed when I was doing that as well. Is that okay? Yes, so long as you're relaxed. Remember, the intention is to relax. Right, okay. That's a major part of Anapanasati, and the place where it's talked about that's the easiest to understand is in stage four of Anapanasati, is to relax the body. Here you are with all of this tension in the head, is not relaxing the body. So I imagine that there's also tension in other places like in the neck. So make sure that you're intentionally relaxing the body. Which means that you're paying attention to those parts of the body. But relaxing is not the same as hating it and wanting it to go away. Okay. It's I know you different process. Just relax. It's okay that there's tension in the head. Let's move it around and let's see if we can find where the other tensions are so that we can just relax. It's okay to give yourself a bit of massage, even. Okay. I know I've heard you mention a lot of times that the first jhana is the path or to enlightenment or something like that. So, is there any purpose then and going into second jhana if the first jhana is our basis the western mind's uh, way of doing things is uh number two is always better than number one and number three is better than number two and the whole lot of numbers is better than something else okay that's just the way that we go and that was the way that the buddha went in the very beginning now there is some value to the higher jhanas in certain situations that in fact in the correct situation they're inevitable okay and look now, the reason i'm asking that question is because i think i've went into the second jhana okay, myself no problem no problem with that there that's okay. the whole point is, is that they become inevitable but the real skill to be developed is to apply the mind and sustain the mind on wholesome thought. Putting some gaps in those wholesome thoughts is okay, but normally when people as, um, who are inexperienced and they want those jhanas, they may be able to get the mind to stop, but when it starts back up, it starts right back into hindrances. We're working to where we can have one thought after another that's wholesome. One wholesome thought, after another wholesome thought and sometimes we put some gaps in there the gaps between the wholesome thoughts is the second jhana and can you gladden the mind without doing meditation just wholesome thoughts wholesome thoughts loads of wholesome thoughts 
without actually doing the breathing in, the deep breathing in part? Uh, yes, that's it is true. You can eat and don't shift. I know that that can happen for a while. But it's better to do with the breathing when you remember the question. The question that you should be asking is about do you remember to do it? Rather than is it OK if I don't remember to do it? OK, well, I suppose the real reason I was asking that question is because. I'm worried about obviously what we've spoke about within my head and I was just wondering is there still something I can do if I take a break from the actual meditating part of the practice? Is there, can I still gladden my mind by just going about my daily lives, if you know what I, know what I mean? Well, the whole practice about going around daily life has to do with the fact that that is so difficult for the beginner, that we do need to get into an isolation. A, a typical example of that is like lifting weights, you go to the gym, and the average neophyte wants to go to the 50 kilogram dumbbells immediately, and then tomorrow to 200 kilograms. When he needs is a five kilogram dumbbell, and maybe even a two kilogram dumbbell, and get some strength going before he tries the heavy stuff. So. What we mean then by that is we need to get the mind in seclusion so that it's easy to practice because there's nothing else to do. But when you're out in the world, there's all these different distractions and then we can't practice because there's too much to do. And so we actually do need to take some time to stop five or 10 minutes and to sit down intentionally to relax. And I think that you've got something confused. The confusion is, is that you think Anapanasati practice is a doing. It's something that you do. And I'm saying you got to take your mind from that position of it's something to do, which is something that a, that a, um, uh, a victim does. The loser has work to do. The winner has already won and it's time to relax. The job has been done already. What job? The job of remembering to relax. Just stop all of the spinning of the washing machine and just relax. That's what Anapanasati is really about. That's the gladdening of the mind is relaxing thoughts as opposed to agitating thoughts of getting the job done. That people go into meditation thinking there's a job to do, and so they work hard at it. They're chasing the cat all over that dark room, and the cat's hiding under all kinds of different furniture. But if you just sit, the cat will come. You need to learn to relax. Okay. And quitting your um, intended practice of relaxing is not going to get you relaxed. That you have to actually practice to intentionally relax. Because otherwise you're just going to stay all uptight. Okay. With or without the head tension. In fact, this is not an issue of head tension. That's just a symptom. Right. No, no problem. All right, so we need to find a way of practicing correctly, and the practicing correctly has to do with never mind what the mind is doing. I don't have to think about that right now. I can just sit here and listen to the sound of the falling rain. Okay. All right, that's the way to go is that there really is no job to be done. There is nothing to attain. Let us be in the state of celebration and relish over the fact that we have already been a victor. That we've done it. This is it. Let us take the fruit of our labor rather okay. than 
keep laboring and laboring and laboring, hoping we'll get better fruit next time. But I must say, when, when, when the practice is going well, the benefits are unbelievable. Okay, so keep practicing that way in the sense of the benefits are relaxation, ease, happiness, contentment, safety, security, satisfaction. So these are the kinds of words that you want to start using. Safe, secure, comfortable, relaxed, satisfied. Okay. Uh, when I am practicing and I'm after acquainting the mind, but the real feeling of joy is not in there. What 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 is that? What's the problem there there? Well, that's because you're in the habit of not having any joy. Okay. All right. So it it's does not, not benefit. very natural for you. I think why when you were about five or six years old, you chased all the joy out and you went to oh. work and you've been at work ever since. Okay. Now yeah, yeah. it's now it's time for you to actually intentionally bring the joy back, but not working at it. You don't work at bringing joy back. You relax into bringing the joy back. Let the cap cat of joy crawl onto your lap because you're relaxed. Wow, no place to go and nothing to do. Isn't that nice? Okay, and would you give me any tips, Damarato, on how? Because I have a, my son; he's nearly, he's he's not far off too. How 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 should I be with him to help him not have the same problem maybe as I did? Well, be happy and uh, joyful with him, rather than criticizing him. Don't fuss at him. Let him be happy. Teach him how to be happy. Teach yourself how to be happy. I should probably relaxed. teach myself how to be happy first, should I? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, no, no. But obviously, uh, he's more important, but, but still. Yes. That's exactly the whole process, is that you cannot teach other people how to be happy. You can't even get people to smile if you're not smiling. You can't walk up to somebody with a big angry face on it and say, smile, damn you. Go ahead, I want to see you smile. To probably start crying. <laughs> <laughs> you only smiled because you knew I was teasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it was funny, it was funny. But come here, do you know what? But like you can spread the joy though. I feel like my, my girlfriend doesn't practice. Uh, she she has her own business. She's always on her phone. She's kind of she likes her phone. She uses her phone a lot. But uh, I feel like when I was in a really good spot, a really good place from this practice, it, it, it spread to her even. She was really happy around the same time. Mm -hmm. That's right. Our joy. Uh, let us say that our duty to the Dhamma is to spread joy. Our duty to the Dhamma is first to become friends with ourselves on the inside and then become friends with others because we know how to be friends. Okay. Um, yeah, and well, I just... Joy. That's, the, I... that's the whole crux to the practice is friendship. This is like I have to say, this is the most meaningful thing I've ever did. Big time. Because before that, like Well, there's really well, nothing mean, to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the new attitude. The new attitude. See, the right now your attitude is, wow, this is really great. But eventually that will melt into a satisfaction that ah, there's really nothing to it. This is really easy. That's the joy of the real winner is everything is just easy. I, I was watching, I, I, I'm watching your videos all the time and I was watching, I think it was the Sangha UK the other day and there was a gentleman 
he was kind of in your position. I think, I don't know, he was kind of like the leader of the group or whatever, but he seemed so happy. He was a, he was a, an English guy, I think. Okay. Seems, yeah. Was, was there, do you often get some students to your, of yours to go in and do what you are doing now with me in the Sangha? Well, in the Sangha, everyone helps each other. We're all on the same mission, and that is to, to learn how to, from each other, spread joy and friendship. Okay. So, come share your joy. Come share your friendship. Come pet the cat. <laughs> uh, right well look what i need to do is i learn how to learn to learn to relax mm -hmm. and not be working too hard so before do, do you mind if i ask you one or two questions that's not got to do with my practice everything has to do with your practice okay but like do, do you mind if i ask you a question about buddha dasa Go ahead. Well, uh, look, I, I've never heard of him before until I met you online. Uh, but let, sometimes when I see a picture of him or when I'm reading one of his books, I get this warm feeling like he's my granddad. Okay. Yeah, why is that? It's strange, like. I will just say it like this, many, many millions of people, mostly Thai people, see him exactly that way too. Okay. Uh, uh, when he was around in Thailand, or before him, was there other people at his level of spirituality, or did they all come after him? Actually, he was kind of a collection point sort of like a bus station where every passenger that's going to ride the bus they come to their place and so he he attracted the the most nobles of thailand okay and that um in fact uh there's a there's a video out that we have on our on our group this is probably one of the shortest ones where the Dalai Lama is actually a video of the Dalai Lama coming to visit Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, where the Dalai Lama calls Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa his elder brother. And that's pretty heavy for the Dalai Lama. I mean, he's the, the, the one that's got the most fame. Okay. Well, not in Thailand. Bhikkhu Buddha Das is certainly more famous in Thailand than the Dalai Lama, but in the Western mentality, the Dalai Lama is like the best example we have of Buddhism, and he sees Bhikkhu Buddha Das as his elder brother. Okay. As well as do many, many other monks. I've got a lot of stories about that. You, you should tell them because it's, it's very I interesting. Have. Have you? Well, I suppose. Oh, well, okay. Um, and what, but before him, was there other people around Thailand who were at his level? Uh, let us first off define the level that you're talking about with the word noble. Okay. All right. So, so at, was there other nobles uh, around Thailand before him? Yeah. Here's the point is, is that I thought that perhaps he was unique or special that way. But over a long period of time, I've come to see that that was not the case. That in fact, uh, when his nobility started to shine, he got kind of in trouble for it. But the, uh, the the silver lining of that particular cloud was is that he actually then took on a teacher who was the uh, head monk of all of Thailand. The Samdet Sangharaj took Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa as a student in the 1930s. Okay. And that that introduced Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa into the inner core 
of the nobles that already existed in Thailand. So there was nobles before him. Yes. By the thousand. Oh, by the thousand, wow. By the thousands, yes. And I think there was a bit of controversy. I, I don't know, did I read it or did I hear you say it? Why was there controversy? What was he calling out that other people weren't? It happened when he was in um, uh, poly school in Bangkok that he was already somewhat renowned and he actually gave the, I think that it was a graduation ceremonies uh, uh, lecture or uh, uh, he was invited. So there was a large audience and he talked about anatta and sunyata and emptiness and things like this. And those people who really, really strongly held beliefs in a, in a self and rebirth and reincarnation, all that kind of stuff, didn't like what he had to say at all and accused him of splitting the Sangha, a Sangha de Sessa is, is one of the worst crimes within the Sangha is trying to break up or bust up the Sangha, trying to destroy it. So he was accused of this and put on trial. In the, in the, tip, in the traditional trial like this, there are 20 judges, all senior, senior monks. And so that's how he fell into the crowd of very senior monks in in Bangkok. And the outcome of the trial that he that he uh, was put under was that he was teaching the correct thing to the wrong people. OK, uh, what did you say at the start there? Why did we, before you said he was teaching the wrong thing to the wrong people? What was he the right, the right thing to the wrong to, to the wrong people? means to spread the noble dhamma of the buddha to people who don't like it okay because it goes against their beliefs and what are their beliefs What's uh in magical powers in heavens in hells in uh, uh ghost in all kinds of things Right now, I know I've heard you before saying when you were in India, you've met a lot of charlatans. But, and you probably won't give me the right answer. Or you probably won't give me the answer. But like, what about the likes of the Maharaji or Ravana Maharshi, people who are supposed to have this big high consciousness? Are you telling me they were charlatans as well? No, no, you're not telling me that. But is there people who lived there? Was there people who had that much of consciousness, do you think? We're not talking about consciousness now. We're talking about magic tricks. So you're telling me that there were magicians? No. I'm saying that when they are using their magic tricks to try to prove that they have higher consciousness, they're charlatans. And what do you mean by charlatan, Damaratha? They're liars. They're cheats. They are using their magic tricks to try to prove that they are something that they are not. So in a nutshell, what are you telling me that it's all lies? It's like all a some... bunch of lies when it is magic tricks. And you're confusing magic tricks from, uh, let us say, higher stages of consciousness, which most people do. They're confused. They don't know the difference. They think that people who have higher stages of consciousness can do magic. And they can't. And they can't. But they can have higher stages of consciousness. So those people who are doing magic tricks to try to prove that they have higher stages of consciousness are charlatans. But did, did Here's a really good example. No, let's go to the point of how about uh, the faith healers in Christianity are all a bunch of charlatans. Well, I've never heard of any of them, but like, yeah, so. So the, the Indian, Indian saints, the likes of Ramana Maharshi, they couldn't quite people's mind. But when I, people I, actually don't, I actually don't know the guy that you're talking about, so I can't comment on individual 
from around Aranachala, you know, Ramana Maharshi, no? No, sorry. Okay, that's okay. That's no problem. Yeah, I have another question. Do you, how do you do you do you know Satya Sai Baba? I, I, I've heard you mention them all right. Okay. Okay. You, he was in Bangalore. He was a charlatan. He was a magician. Did you hear? Uh, you, you obviously heard of Ramdas, have you? Which Ramdas? There's bunches of them. It, from America, from Boston. Richard Alpert. Yeah, well, he's, what about his uh, guru, Maharaji, they called him. Have you ever heard of Neem, Neem Karoli Baba? No? Actually, I've never met him. I have seen uh, Ram Das, and he talks about things. He uses magical language to talk about real things. So you don't think he was lying when he was telling stories about his guru? I don't know what stories you're talking about. Okay, well, there were, it sounds like what you're saying are describing as right. magic. It's interesting. Okay, so Satya Sai Baba, for instance, would take ash out of uh, a fire and get it wet, make into a dough, let that dough dry in the form of, let us say, the size of a uh, grain of rice. He would then take that uh, grain of rice that was a, a dried powder from ash and keep it between his fingers so that he would do magical things like that and then poof and he would throw all of this magical um, uh, holy ash out on people. He also did sleight of hand with stuff. And there have been a number of photographers who have taken pictures from all different kinds of angles, holding the camera down at their knee level and taking pictures of what he's doing to show that he's just a charlatan. That, okay. in fact, this was a big issue with Houdini. Have you ever heard of Houdini? I have, but the people I'm talking about, yes, yeah, so it's not magic tricks they do, but apparently they can do, they have some kind of powers, but anyway. Well, the power that you're talking about that can be visualized and seen like a rope trick, you know, the rope trick. How no. about, uh, well, the rope trick actually is, is that they would take a copper wire that could be stiff and they would wind that into the rope so that as the guy played his flute, the guy would magically touch the rope and whatnot like that. And pretty soon it would start to climb up into the air because the copper rod would keep the rope from bending and falling over. And so he could get it to go up to a certain level of about 10 to 12 feet. That's yeah, I think the magic we're talking about are different, Zamorato. What I'm talking about, they're not, I if suppose it's not If you can see it, if they can demonstrate some sort of prestidigitation, and you see that that's a magic trick, that's a charlatan doing it unless he is actually being honest with you and telling you that this is a magic trick. Okay. Um, and the problem with all of the Western people who want to go into Buddhism, they go after the magic tricks because that's what they see and that's what's advertised and that's what gets the money in. And the people who are doing that side of it are all charlatans. An example of that is, is that Christianity now is almost 100% charlatans. Every preacher is not a holy man. I mean, every one of them are charlatans. And their job is, is to keep people worked up. And they perform ceremonies and do all kinds of things and wind up getting a jet plane. They do faith healing. Okay. And yet all of the people that they heal are part of their props. Okay. Just like Satya Sai Baba had people who were props. There's one guy kept loaning him the same watch over and over again so that Satya Sai Baba could manifest it. And then later he would get go back to the guy who wore it most of the time. Okay. These are all magic tricks. I've seen quite a lot of them. I was very curious about it. I mean, there's like like uh, Houdini, 
Houdini was really, really curious about the um, uh, the thing at the time from, let us say, the 1850s and 60s up until the 1930s, really into the 30s, the seances were a big thing. You know what a seance is? Don't. A seance is when a whole bunch of people get sitting around a table in a darkened room and they summon spirits from the dead. They had seances in the White House. They had seances all over the place. And Houdini was saying that he thought that they were all charlatans and that these people could not conjure the dead, but that they were playing tricks. One of the women was caught with uh, having a particular shoe that she kept where it was. And later they found out that this shoe that she would put on and wear during the ceremony, she could actually, with the wire attached to the floor, be able to manipulate things on the table. Okay. And, and, and Houdini made it a big deal of his life to go and find these charlatans, and he actually exposed quite a number of them, put expositions, and surprise, surprise, because of Houdini's interference, seances died out. They don't do them anymore. In fact, the, the one that's the most famous seance that's done is done in Las Vegas in tribute to Houdini. And all of the people who go to the seance are all of the magicians, the stage magicians, who hire themselves out as stage musicians because they know every one of them that it is all um, stage magic and prestidigitation. There is no real magical powers. Okay. And, and wanting and desiring magical powers is a, uh, um, a, a trap. It's a sign. It's a big hindrance. Yeah, well, that's not what I want. But I was just curious that is there people out there that if I was in the same vicinity of them, that my mind could go quiet? Because that, that's what... Where I, your mind are. can go is almost anywhere. Can you take a pair of pliers, a scissor, and a screwdriver, and a bunch of parts, and go build something in that paradise, and bring it back to the real world? No. Okay, well, that's fair you enough. You cannot just take a magical quarter into your mind and have it come out into your hand behind somebody's ear. Okay. Card tricks. There's a many, and all of them are what is called sleight of hand. In other words, the magician can do something fast enough that you cannot see it and comprehend it correctly. An example is two, uh, two people holding a rubber band. This guy's got it this way, and the other guy's got it that way, and they can pass it back and forth as if magic. As if the brands break, go to the other side and reassemble themselves. No, it's a sleight of hand maneuver. Right. No, so I heard stories where someone, people could, when they went into the vicinity or around another person, that they bursted into samadhi. Did, have right. you heard of papaji? I've heard all the stories. So you're saying they're lies. But you recognize that they are stories. You'll be better off. Okay. Uh, do you know one of the the first time I seen you online, Damarato, was when which are when you were with Daniel Ingram having the Mahasi debate. Okay. Yeah, and you were in an argument, and you mentioned that I don't know what you were actually saying, but you mentioned that someone has to go through heaven before they come out the other side. Can you remember exactly what you were speaking about? Not exactly, no. No, no, I was just wondering, you, you said you were having to I would to be more likely say that people have to go through their own hell before they come out the other side. Oh, you, you know, I think you mentioned heaven, whatever argument well, you were talking about. And I, I was I just wondering. I, I don't remember arguing with him, but that's your uh, opinion or word for it. Right, okay, okay, but like... I, I I think you said, oh, someone has to go through heaven first. But I was just wondering, have you been through the heaven, the heaven within? I, I, would you consider yourself noble like Buddha Dasa? I think you are, but that's only my projection, I suppose. Well, that's the whole point, 
is that it doesn't matter what I have to say about me. It's what you have in your mind of your opinion of what you've gotten from me is all that matters to you anyway. So I'll reserve the answer to that question and let you have whatever opinion you want to have. Well, it's a good opinion, but why wouldn't you tell me the real answer? Because it's not, because there's no real answer. Well, there is. It's either yeah or no. Are you a noble man like Buddha Sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Bhikkhu Buddha would also not answer that question. Okay. Um, what he did say when people would ask him, are you enlightened? His answer to that would be, who or what is it that you're talking about? What is it that is enlightenment? In fact, what he's doing here is he's questioning the uh, questioner's ability to understand the question. That you actually don't, uh, the reason you're asking this question is because you don't understand your question. If you understood okay. your question, you wouldn't ask it. Oh. All right. So um, the question then is, well, what is enlightenment? Go find out for yourself and then you'll know. And then you can understand that it takes one to know one. Okay. And you probably won't answer this question either. Have you trained students to get to that stage? I'm sure I reckon you have. Why don't you go ask them? <laughs> who are they? <laughs> <laughs> that guy go who was in the Sangha UK the other day, I reckon he is anyway. He was very happy. Well, here's the point is, what good will that do you? Uh, I'm, I'm just, I have a curious mind, Damarato. I know. So put that curiosity to the correct use and start finding out where you're, what's going on inside your own mind and stop worrying about what's going on in the minds of other people. Okay. All right. Uh, come here, look. Thanks for taking the call. My son is only after getting up, so I'm going to have to leave them into the kitchen. It's time for breakfast, if that's okay. All right. Well, we'll see you then another time. You will. You definitely will. Thanks very much. Yes, go relax. Just relax. You'll be all right. Remember to relax. Practice being relaxed. Okay, I will. I'll chat to you soon. Thank you.